Well, let's turn our Bibles today to Matthew, the first chapter in verse 18. We all understand as, as being men and women of faith, men and women of a covenant with God, born of God's seed, that Jesus certainly is the reason for the season. And that it is today, only 24% of people believe in the story of Christmas. 24%. That is including those that are raised in Christian homes and those that even attend Christian, quote-unquote, Christian assemblies. 24%. That's not very many. But it's enough to change the world's thinking. Amen? <clears throat> in Matthew, the first chapter in verse 18, and now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. The Christian birth of a child in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. The birth of Jesus was a supernatural conception into a woman called Mary, espoused, yet after before the espousement or before the marriage, she was found with child. What shame that she must have felt at that time. What shame that Joseph must have encountered at that time. But here we see that the birth of Jesus was a supernatural thing, yet it was mixed with very many, many ordinary things. Mary had received a word from God. And in receiving a word from God, she conceived a seed of the Holy Ghost. Now, Mary was a virgin, yes. And that it was a miracle conception, yes. But when we see her giving birth, we see her and her husband Joseph dealing with things that normal people deal with, struggling to give birth in a stable struggling one with another, wondering what would a 
child require the pain, the struggle of giving normal birth. The conception was miraculous, but the birth was normal. The thing about that is that when they tell us that it was a miracle conception, Mary is much like all of us here today. She receives something from God. And we think that, hallelujah, that has been this divine encounter with God, with a man or a woman, and that encounter leaves man with something that he is to believe God for and to bring to pass with the help of the Lord. But just like Mary, there is this normal time that takes place in every miracle. This is where people cave in. This is where people break down. This is where people forget their encounter. That's why it's so important when the prophet says, write the vision so that when you read it, you can run. Because pretty soon when you are running with this conception or this thing that you have conceived from God, you start going through time periods of just normal life. Life happens, things go up and down, kids go crazy, wife goes through menopause, men go through midlife crisis, and it seems like, wait a second, I thought I had an encounter with God. You did. But don't let the normalcy of life steal what God has placed in your heart. These two young people struggling. One of the things that is not there, there is celebration, the joy of a child. Celebration that God has given us a human life. But does she remember? I'm sure that she is calling to remember some of the things that were said by her cousin Elizabeth and said by the angel Gabriel and said, and Joseph is reminiscing about the dream. I understand all that, but in reality, those things may be in the back of their mind because of the pending struggle to give birth to a child. But one thing that they are not struggling with is unforgiveness. They're at the manger there is no unforgiveness of those that have called her names maybe called her a whore called her an adulteress called joseph a fool in the midst of all of this joy that is not there and one thing that christmas must do is that it should bring us to the place of forgiveness because Christmas does reveal to us that every man needs forgiveness because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God and so here in this stable where this baby is being born they're remembering things that God has said to them they have now went through the enduring time of natural things but in the midst of the natural things, God is at work behind the scenes. And God is bringing to pass the very word that he placed in Mary and Joseph's life.
Don't ever let the normalcy of your life cancel out the spiritual and supernatural things that God has declared over your life. Make sure that you always keep your mind set on what God has said and what God has revealed to you. So many of us have these supernatural encounters. We tell people about them. Then we put away the CD and we allow normalcy to cause faith to lie dormant in the seed that God has given us. And we need to stop that and we need to rise up. But every miracle has this element of this time frame of normalcy. But at the same time, that Mary is giving birth and struggling, guess what? All types of supernatural things are taking place to verify the miracle that she has just given birth for. In other words, a star has just appeared. Secondly, angels appear in groups. It might be a company. It might have been 10,000 angels. It might have been 50,000 angels. It was a host, a company of angels begin to sing on a hillside to some lowly shepherds at the same time that Mary is struggling and Joseph and her are reminiscing and they are forgiving people that have come against them because they're preparing to go on with what God has for their life. Guess what? God is confirming what he's called them to do, appointed them to do, enabled them to do. He's about to confirm the word that he spoke because shepherds are headed to the a manger to confirm that, look, angels appeared unto us and declared that a Savior is born. Yeah, that takes place in everybody's life. Yes, Jesus was born of a virgin. Yes, he was born in a lowly stable. Yes, he was the Son of God. He was spoke of 700 years before. But I want you to look at what Jesus came for in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came as a light to those that sat in darkness. In other words, Jesus came to save people. He came to redeem us, from our sins and transgressions. But he came for something that is bigger than just what we would say. He just came to save us. Jesus did come to save us, but sometimes we forget what is involved in the salvation of the Lord. He came as a light to those that sat in darkness. Why were they sitting in darkness? For the sole reason that they had never seen God in his splendor. They had never seen God in his love. They had never seen the dimension of God in his love. The mindset of man was this. There was no righteous man on the earth. There was none who understood God. There was none that would seek after God they were all unprofitable. There was not one good person on the earth. Their tongues were divided and were filled with deceit. 
They were, their tongues were filled with poison of asp, and their lips and their mouth full of cursing towards God. Bitterness reigned in man's heart. They were swift to shed blood and to destroy one another. They were destruction and misery. Misery were in their way. And they did not know the way of God. And there was no fear of God before them. These people were clueless. What was God? Who was God? Today there are so many images of God. You know, we have the insurance company saying, well, you know, we don't cover acts of God. Well, we've attributed every horrendous thing that could happen to somebody as an act of God. But nothing good is ever attributed to God, only the evil. We know that God is a God that must be not interested in mankind because men are killing themselves. There's wars everywhere. There's hungry children. People are starving to death. People are dying. There are famines in the land. Where is God? God's right where he needs to be. See, sometimes people think this. God's going to do what God wants to do. What a foolish statement. God does not do what God wants to do or everybody would be saved. Not one person would have went to hell. You say, God's going to do what God's going to do. God will do what God's going to do when men respond to the condition that is laid out. You must look and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is the son of the living God. You have to do that. But the world thinks that God's going to do what God's going to do because he's God. That's not true at all. Hell would have never been created. Man never would have sinned. There would be no murder. There would be no unrighteousness. There would be no evil. There would be no destruction and bitterness. There would be no shedding of blood. There would not be just misery in everybody's life. God doesn't do what he wants to do. He does what man will let him do by faith. Could have get an amen. Absolutely. So then Jesus' birth is evidence of God's immeasurable love for mankind, for mankind. God is a God of love. Let's go to John 3, 16 through 18. Jesus is the evidence of God's love. If God did not love man, he certainly would not have redeemed man. In John, the third chapter, and verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world. Somebody say, I'm in the world then God is in love with you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice that God's love is displayed, demonstrated, and set in motion, made available by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. But the qualification is that you must believe. And then in verse 17 it says this, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Two classes of people on the earth. Because he hath not believed 
in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, this is the condemnation that plagues the world. That light is come into the world, and all men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We see that this declaration of God so loving the world gives unto you and I a revelation that there is no price too great to pay for your redemption, your forgiveness, and your righteousness. Your sin has been carried away by God himself. Acts 20, 28 says that God himself shed his blood on the cross. There's nothing too expensive expensive, or of greater value than the price that God paid for your adoption to become sons and daughters and to be seated with him in heavenly places. That unveils to us that we are valuable to God. What does Christmas say? Christmas says that God loves us. Christmas says that we are valuable to God. Could it get an amen? When man did not know God, God still sought out man. See, Christmas is not man's idea. It's God's idea. There was none that sought God, no one that was interested in God, and nobody that feared God. So they were separated from God because of their sins. But God is and was and has been and always will be love in motion in the person of Christ Jesus. He came as a light. What did he do? He comes to show or to unveil what love does for needy people. And we are all sinners. We were all dead in our sins. And only by Christ Jesus could we be saved and called sons and daughters of God. Now, Jesus unveils to us in the scriptures that he is Emmanuel. Everybody knows what the interpretation of that is? God with us. In other words, men that did not know God were now exposed to the unlimited, immeasurable love of God. The one they did not understand, the one they did not seek, was now in the midst of them, unveiling to them his love. John 14, 8 through 10, in the doubting of Thomas's, realized that doubt separated Thomas from seeing who God was. Show us the Father. Jesus said, have I been with you such a long time that you know not that when you see me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is God in motion. And when we, we see Jesus in motion, we are seeing God's love in motion. Could I get an amen? He is not a respected person. What he did for others while he was on this earth, he will do for you and I because he still is love personified. In Luke 10 through 30 through 35, it doesn't matter how you got where you are and it doesn't matter how long you've been there. It doesn't matter what has happened to you while you've been there and it doesn't matter the condition that you're in right now. If you are on Jericho's road, Jesus is reaching out to you just like he did that man. 
Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Jesus is entering into everybody's Jericho today. And all of us in some way, shape, or form have fallen sometime or other into the hands of the work of the enemy. And we have ended up being stripped of our identity. Our eyes have become dim. Our senses have become dulled. And we are totally unaware of what God desires to do because of the pain of the moment. And we forget that the steps that we are hearing are the steps of our Savior. And the shadow that we see looming over us as we lie there in a deadened state is the shadow of the Savior of our life. And he comes. He doesn't say, what were you doing down here? He doesn't say, how long you been here? What a fool you have done. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you? No, no. He's not condemnative, but he is a Savior. And he comes down to the road of Jericho. No matter what condition we are in, Jesus picks us up. He doesn't ask us to pay a price, but he takes us to a place of safety, a place of restitution, a place of refreshing, a place of recovery, and a place that he makes provision for you and I. And out of that place, we rise up anew, and we rise up having been touched by God in some way. That is the immeasurable love of God. And then there are things that God does to each and every one of us. Remember that it doesn't matter how you got where you're at. So many Christians I've heard say this, well, you reap what you sow. Oh, absolutely, you may. But if you repent of it and turn to God with a grateful heart, the Bible says that God not only forgives your sins, but he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. In other words, God can abort the seed process because of your heart of repentance and gratitude towards God. So you might say, but I brought this on myself. <laughs> I brought a sinful life upon myself. Which one of us has never brought a problem in our life? We've all brought problems in our life. Amen? And so you, you got to realize, how many of you were happy-go-lucky when you were a teenager? Then you got married. What, what, what were you thinking? Well, we aren't going to be like mom and dad. Surprise, surprise, surprise. You are mom and dad. Yes, listen to me. We sometimes think that as long as everything's going all right, nothing is going to go wrong. But God is not just the God of those that are going through life without problems. He is a problem solver. He is a Jericho Road deliverer. deliverer. He is a grave robber. He is a master physician. He is a, a breaker of chains. He is one that heals, restores, mends, and replaces what the enemy takes away. Could I get an amen?
Listen, he had been born a savior. He is love in motion. And there is no condemnation in his mind towards you and I. Hallelujah. In Matthew 14, 22, Jesus comes to the ship with his disciples. And as Jesus says, let us go to the other side. There's no question that God has sent them. There's no question that they don't have faith to go. Because on the other side, Jesus says, where is your faith? So they must have had it on one side of the shoreline. And the Bible says they get out there and all of a sudden, this storm comes up. Who in the world hasn't had a storm in their life when they're walking in the place of God's destiny? Everybody does. Look, you cannot walk in God's position of purpose without having conflict with the enemy. I hear people all the time saying, well, I wonder what they did, that, that they're being attacked. <laughs> Probably living righteous. Could I get an amen? I'm not concerned about those that are being attacked, but I'm very concerned about those that aren't being attacked. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Look at your life. If you're living unrighteous, life is easy. But if you're pressing towards the mark of the high calling of God, understand there's going to be conflict. There is going to be friction. There is going to be battles. There's going to be assaults on your life. There's going to be assaults on your home. There's going to be assaults on your finances. Listen, everybody is not going to be friendly just because you shout, Jesus is Lord. Could I get an amen? So we got to realize that Jesus was with the disciples. They are headed for a point of destiny. God knows what's on the other side. Jesus knows that he has a divine appointment on the other side. He's at peace that no matter what the enemy brings, God will bring him through it. And so Jesus goes back and he rests in the Lord. He literally falls asleep. Now Jesus was fully convinced that this boat is not going to go under. But the disciples, because they begin to lose their faith because they're looking at all of the evidence. In other words, normal things happen when you're in a boat in the ocean. You can get wet. You can sink. You can drown. But it's normal things. But it doesn't do it away with Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Well, how deep, how far down does the boat have to get? It doesn't matter how far. If the lobsters have to carry it to shore from the bottom, they will carry it to the shore on the bottom and we can have a lobster feast. Now listen, no, if God tells you that something is going to happen, it's going to happen. So they're in the midst of this storm and guess what? They aren't alone. The answer is with them. No place that you are in life, no place that you go through in life has God ever forsaken you? He is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So in the midst of the storm, guess what? Jesus is the Savior from damage and destruction. What is he today? He is in the midst of your storm. He is in the midst of your storm. I don't know how deep your boat has sunk. I don't know how far down it is, 
But I will tell you this, you are not going to stay on the bottom. You are coming back up. Why? Because God said, let us go. And if God said, let us go, if you will stand and behold the salvation of the Lord, no matter how much water gets in that boat, you're going to make it to the other side. If I had a dime for every time that people told me that I was finished, I'd be a millionaire. They told me, you can't build a church in Bucktons. Surprise, surprise, we have one. They told me I couldn't have a Bible college in Bucktown. Surprise, surprise, we've had one. I teach in them. I'm on the board of them. Listen, don't tell me that God can't do anything. Tell me you just are not agreeing with God. But I'll tell you this, that if God puts a seed in your life, no matter how much norm normalcy comes, no matter how many battles come, God is going to bring you through and you're not going to have unforgiveness in your life and you're not going to be suppressed by the storms and the pains and the anxiety and the fear of going under. Listen, when I built this building, people said, well, what are you going to do for people? I said, I'm not building it for people. What do you mean you aren't building it for people? I said, I'm building it as a challenge of my faith for God. And if nobody shows up, I will fill every seat with a rock. And if the rocks don't cry out, I'll outshout them. But I will not go through life and end up being normal. They will drive by this place and say, that is the biggest failure in 10 counties. But it'll be mine. Well, well, that wouldn't have been God. Oh, it would have been God. It would have been God. Because I dared to believe God. I called Jesse and I said, Jesse, I'm getting ready to build this building. Man, I need like six million dollars. I said, what would you do? He said, Peter. I'd build it just me and Jesus because people will come and go like wind and like paper. They're like bramble bushes. They'll roll right on through and never even leave a seed. He said, but I'll tell you what, if you build it with you and God, it'll be you and God that'll be successful or it'll be you and God that fail. And he said, and even if you fail with God on your side, you're not a failure if you do it by faith. So I did it. And the people around here gathered together and we bound ourselves together and we built a building. Every two and a half weeks, there's a different, literally a different congregation in this church. We draw from like 76 cities, 10 counties. Because of broken families, the average person in our congregation membership, the average person attends one Sunday a month because of split homes, jobs, financial reasons, and distance. So you realize the average person, 
Out of 50 kids, only two kids attended every service in a month. Now you say, well, that's crazy. Absolutely, it's crazy. It's a phenomenon. It is something that only God could do. It is something that only God could foresee. There are no church growth programs for this church. When they say, let's take our city, which one are you going to take? You, you can't take them. But let's take the world. Amen. We can do that. We can go to the world. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So realize that when God puts something in your life, listen, just because people start telling you it's too late, it can't happen. Absolutely not. You never cave in just because battles show up. What you do is trust the Savior that's with you in your boat. Trust him because he'll bring you through. Matthew 4, 23 through 24, Jesus, every sick person, the sick came and he healed them all. Those that were taken with uh, diverse diseases, those that had torments, those that were possessed with devils, the lunatics, and those that had palsy, and those that could not help themselves. And he healed them all. Somebody say he healed them all. Jesus never says no to people that believe in him. And so God is in our life, and no matter what report you're getting, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is with you, and just as he healed them all, he will heal you today. Remember, healing is a demonstration of God's love because it's a part of our Savior action to others. Jesus will deliver you and heal you. I'm telling you, God is on our side. Amen? And then in Matthew, the 14th chapter, one time Jesus was coming through a storm and Peter saw him coming. They all freaked out and thought it was a spirit or a ghost. I don't know what a ghost is. Anybody know what a ghost is? Besides Casper? I, I don't know. But they thought it was a spirit. So he comes and Peter says, Hey, Jesus, if that's you, let me come to you. Jesus said, Well, come on. Peter climbs down out of the boat and he starts walking. That's pretty good feet. Amen? Just walking. He's walking on the water, and then, of course, his eyes get off Jesus, and he begins to sink. Now, that sounds like a terrible indictment against Peter, but I'm sure that that same story would have been told about you and I. Amen? But what does Jesus do? Does he look down and say, oh, you're just filled with just fear, and Peter, when are you going to get faith? He doesn't condemn him. What does he do? Reaches down and lifts him up. Lifts him up. Now, when you were sitting around the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas tree tonight or tomorrow, whose story would you like to tell? John and James and Andrew that were in the boat and said, we saw Peter walk on water. Or would you like to be Peter saying, I walked on water. Whose testimony would you like to have? What story would you like to tell? How you began to sink. But Jesus said, it's okay to sink 
because I'm always there to lift you up. And I will help you go where you can't go. And I not only will leave you by yourself, I'll go with you. So if you ever run out of anything, guess what? I'm there. How many times that I've needed God in the midst of places that I thought I was going to go under. I've needed God so many times. I've said, I mean, I've been up against a wall where I've been broke. And I've had to say, God, I, I need $75,000 tomorrow. I don't have no money. And some way, money would come. I remember one time opening an envelope from another city, another state. And I opened it up and it had all this money in it. I thought, God, how did people even know where I am? I know where you're at. I know where you're at. And God has brought Phyllis and I through so many times, I can't tell you. Times that we've been without food in our house. And Phyllis had even said, I'd like to have a turkey, honey. I'm thinking I'd like to have a can of soup. <laughs> I mean, I'm not hard to please. I'll take turkey broth with noodles. And then all of a sudden, somebody would knock on the door and say, we were at home and God told us to go out and buy you food. And he told us specifically to buy you a big turkey. And we would thank God. How many times did Phyllis and I would drive down the road in the winter and we didn't have wood for our stove and we'd stop on the freeway and pick up pieces of wood to heat our home? Yeah. You say, well, aren't you blessed? Oh, well, I am now. I didn't start out on the top, friend. I had to use my faith to get to the top. And it's still a faith walk. Don't think that it's not a faith walk. It's still a faith walk. Instead of paying $89 for a hotel room to have a meeting in, now it's $70,000, $80,000 for a crusade ground to have a meeting in. Oh, yeah, they, the budgets went up. But realize God has never failed me. Never failed me. I, I went in last year and I said, hey, how much money do I have in PDM? I want to do this crusade. They said, you can't do that crusade. You don't have any money. I looked at the account and I said, well, I'll tell you what, when was the last time I needed you and needed money to do what God told me to do. I said, I'm having that crusade. And I remember I was headed for the crusade, and, and Eric came up to me and said, Pastor, we got the crusade, but we don't have any tickets to get there, and we leave in the morning. He said, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, if I was you, I'd pack. And he said, okay. And a lady in our church came across this aisle here at the end of the service and handed me a $10,000 check and said, Pastor, God told me to give this to you. And I opened it up. And I called Eric over and I said, Eric, buy two tickets, one in the cattle car for you and first class for me. <laughs> well, he was in unbelief. I was in faith. And God is reward of them that diligently seek him. No, I never. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. But that woman came up at the last minute. The last hour. 
I thought I wasn't even going to make it to the crusade ground. She gave me a $10,000 check and paid for our tickets to go to the Philippines to hold this meeting. Jesus came to save me. He came to redeem me. He came to pay the price of adoption for me. And he came to give me a new name. See, I used to be the cursed, but I'm the blessed. I used to be an enemy, but I'm beloved. I used to be poor, but now I'm the prosperous. I used to be a sinner, but now I'm the righteousness of God. I used to be bound, but now I'm redeemed. I used to have transgressions on my account. Now I'm forgiven. I used to be so sad and overcome with grief, but now I have the joy of the Lord. I used to be weak in life's affairs, but now I'm strong. Hallelujah. I used to be a failure, but now I'm a conqueror. I used to struggle just to get through life, fearful that I could not make it, but now I'm victorious. I used to be separated from God, but now I worship him in the courts of the Holy of Holies, for I am a priest unto my God. And I used to be just a pauper, but I've been crowned a king. I am an intercessor of the Almighty God. God came and saved me. Jesus is God's love in motion. What it did for others, it is doing for you right now. If you want to see what God's going to do in your life, open up the pages of the Bible and see what he did in your brother and your sister's lives. Because he's here to do the very same for you today. Amen? Hallelujah. Stand to your feet today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Tonight, communion candlelight service. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that God, you are love. And this is the love that God had for us, that he gave his only begotten son. That Jesus would be a light to us that were bound on darkness, overshadowed by our sins, and separated from God. But God, you in your mercy and your love, God brought grace into our hearts and into our lives. And that God, the grace of God, stood ready for us to be saved. And all we had to do was confess that Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God and that he was Lord of all. God, we stand here today knowing that no Jericho Road will ever defeat us, that no storm, God, will ever, ever stop us from reaching our destiny. That, God, there's no sickness and disease or bad report that will dominate the outcome of our life. God, we are a new creature. And Jesus came to save us, to adopt us, and to give us a new identity. We are the people of God. Jesus came to save us, and we are saved. Now, God, we ask every person that is here today, God, let this Christmas be rich. Let it be rich, God, in remembrance of Christ. Let it be rich, God, in their opportunities to share Jesus with others. And God, 
let them remember to tell the Christmas story to their children, to their relatives, to their friends, and to their loved ones. And God remind us that Jesus is in the midst of what we're going through. And all we have to do is just allow him to pick us up, to reach down, and to calm our storm. And God, that we will fulfill our destiny in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you and Merry Christmas to those of you I won't see tonight.